everybody. So good to see you this morning. Hey, um, isn't it great to be able to be here to worship God together, whether you are here in person or worshiping online? Such a pleasure, such an awesome, awesome thing to be able to do to worship our Lord and Savior. Hey, I have a few announcements that I want to uh, go through really quick. Um, there is, uh, if you've seen these around or um, maybe you've seen these around uh, the, the building here, these are a plan that we're, we're going through. It's foundations. We're going through the New Testament in 260 days. And we're just a little bit into it. We're still in our first book of the Bible, in the book of Luke. So if you want to join in, we would love to have you join us. You just kind of find one of these things, scan it with your the picture or the camera app on your phone, and you can get it. But if you want, uh, we can help you get connected in other ways. You can do it online on a website. Uh, just let me know, and I'd be able to be happy to help you get connected onto that. Also, we have uh, midweek coming up. Uh, midweek is going to be happening on February 23rd. There's a slide for that. Uh, it's going to be great. I know we're going to be going through uh, this time on some things on First Peter. So um, looking forward to that and, and what that will be. There's children's and student ministries that are, have parts with that as well. So bring your kids, and uh, it'll be a great night. Also, uh, today we are, we're not having the Super Bowl event up in the student center, but we are taking a collection. And this is something we do uh, pretty much every year. And it's, uh, it's going to benefit our, our food pantry for, uh, for our church, so that way we can bless our community. And uh, we're just, I just made it fun, made it uh, cash versus cans, and see who wins. And so uh, you can, uh, right out here in the lobby, there's a station where you can uh, either give some cans or give some cash to bless some people in our community. Um, can everybody stand as we get to worshiping God and uh, let's just have a, let's have a fun time today. How about that? Sing. You are here. 
darkness, my God, that is who you are. And you are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Even when I don't see it. God is. He is our way maker. Hey, let's take a few moments just to greet each other. Say hi this morning. I want to say um, from stage, I want you, I want to say welcome to Southwoods Christian Church. I, I am so thankful that you, yes, you, whoever you are, we are so thankful that you are here because you are a person that is loved by God. And it doesn't matter what you've done, you are welcome here. And we love you, and God loves you. So I want to make sure it's not just a greeting from all y'all. 
we want you to know that you are welcome here and we are so thankful that you are here. Um, there's a, I just want to put up a slide here really quick on some different ways that you guys can be giving to the ministry here at Southwoods. And we encourage you to do that in one of those ways so we can continue to do the ministry that, uh, that God has for us and our footprint here and beyond into the world. Um, let's, and stay standing as we go into this next song.
Father. I thank you that you are steadfast, that you are eternal, that you are all-powerful, and you are in control, and you have always been that, and you always will be. And we thank you for being our, not only our God and our Lord, but our Savior, the one who has saved us from our sins. And we continue to praise you today because of that, because you love us, because you've taken care of all the problems, all the, the things that we need in this life. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated.
there's this, um, so I'm in a small group. We meet on uh, every other Friday nights, and we've been going through some stuff on um, just some scientific proofs, I guess, of God. Um, and it's been really cool. On the very first verse of this last song, it says, There in the stillness, right from the start, you are the ember that lit the dark. Over the heavens and galaxies, God, you were there singing over me. I love that. As we were kind of been going through, we've been looking at the cosmos. And uh, a couple in our group was mentioning this documentary that we went and Aaron and I watched on the, the Star of Bethlehem. But the cool thing is that really made me realize that, you know, the cosmos is basically a big math problem. We can set... We can know exactly how things were on a specific day because things are very constant. So for the star of Bethlehem to have been there, it was all planned from the moment of, actually before the moment of creation. That's a pretty amazing thought. And not only that, but his crucifixion as well. It talked about that on that night, there was a, a blood moon and at the very moment that Jesus died, there was an eclipse. The very minute. God knew this from the very beginning. And it wasn't an accident that he put into place because of a, something he didn't foresee happening. It's something that he knew from the very beginning. But he did it anyway. Because he loves you. And he wants to love you. He thinks you are amazing. And you are worth the cost of putting his own son on the cross. I don't know about you, but that blows me away. So as we take communion here, we're going to sing a song. And it's actually, you get to, uh, we encourage you to participate in communion while this song is going on. And just think about the words that are in this song. Because it reminds us of this God who is so faithful to us. He has faithful love. He planned it from the beginning. And he has been faithful to it of all time.
Good morning, everybody. Heard this past week of a pastor who watched his five-year-old granddaughter direct a wedding between herself and her cherished teddy bear groom. True story. Once she managed to get the very large and unruly imaginary wedding party all in their places, the little girl picked up her teddy bear prince groom, confidently said to the imaginary minister who was presiding over the whole affair, she said to him, now you can read us our rights. <laughs> and without missing a beat, the little girl immediately became the minister who said to the young couple, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say may be held against you. You have the right to have an attorney present. Now you may kiss the bride. No one's quite sure how it happened, but she got her wedding vows and the Miranda rights kind of confused there, right? And uh, that's never happened in marriage at all, has it? So. We've been talking in recent weeks about how life is filled with adversity and tests, and marriage in particular is one of those relationships that's filled with joy, it's filled with blessing, but anybody who's engaged in marriage, you know, it's got plenty of struggles, plenty of challenges, a lot of tests that come your way. That's why a traditional, more traditional set of wedding vows goes like this. I, Greg Montague, take you, Lori Maynard, that's my wife, by the way, uh, Lori Maynard, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for in sickness or in health, you know, to love and to cherish until death do us part, right? That's why it goes. And notice the, the last part, until death do us part. Wedding vows are stated like that because marriage is not always better, richer, or health-filled for all of us. And the commitment is not just a temporary one until we feel different. The, the commitment is until death do us part. I mean, that's the expectation from God's perspective. And that's why, from God's perspective, marriage is the perfect training environment for developing a long-term overall lifestyle of holiness and goodness, like we talked about last week. You remember we were talking about how to grow in goodness, how to grow in holiness, and that sort of thing, training for that. It's a perfect training environment, marriage is, because it's a long-term commitment. I mean, it's with one person, so there's a minimum of opportunity for hiding and deceit. And I mean, you've got to really work to hide things from your spouse. And some of us have done that sort of thing at various times in our lives and figured out that didn't work very well, right? It's a perfect environment for holiness, goodness, training, and development. If you missed last week's message, I hope you'll go back and listen to it and think of today's message in that context. I think it'll be a blessing to you. Well, we're in a message series that's entitled, When Faith is Tested. We're making our way through the New Testament book of 1 Peter. Hope you've been reading along as we've been doing that. I know the reading plan's got us to other places, but just spend some time, carve out a few minutes extra place just to read 1 Peter some. But today's passage is all about marriage, and you say, well, that's not what was... The next verses from last week, well, you're right, since tomorrow is Valentine's Day, <clears throat> hint, hint, since tomorrow is Valentine's Day, I skipped ahead in First Peter a few verses to today's passage, because I thought, you know, if tomorrow's Valentine's Day, let's talk about marriage kind of in the context of, of Valentine's Day, and so we're, we'll look at the skipped verses next week and the week after, okay? So you with me? 
So we skipped ahead to chapter 3 of 1 Peter. And before we look at today's verses, I want to acknowledge something that's going to be real obvious in just a moment to any of us who pay careful attention to the passage. Today's passage is a controversial portion of Scripture in our day. I thought about coming up here today and have instead of this... Uh, doing what a pastor friend of mine did. He kind of made a bunker up here he, he, and with like a little peephole, you know, kind of like if he was, you know, like a military kind of, he kind of like wanted to preach his sermon through the peephole to the people and kind of, kind of protect himself. Because there's plenty of people in our culture who when we read this, you just, it, it will trigger things. It, uses, it talks about subjects, language, that's sure to trigger some of us emotionally. And some of us may even be tempted as I go through this morning's passage to tune out and go to our mental happy place, you know, like the Chiefs game this afternoon. That's right, that's right, I forgot, they're not playing today. Sorry about that. So so there is no happy place other than the passage. So stick with me this morning. I want to encourage you to just listen carefully as we read and reflect on these verses. I hope that you'll wrestle with what God has to say to all of us in these verses about marriage, whether they're culturally, what it says is culturally thumbs up or culturally criticized. Because here's what we know about God, if you know anything about Him from what Scripture teaches. He wants to bless our lives. He he created us. He knows what's good for us. He knows He came up with the idea of marriage, so He understands how this thing works And I think you'll get some fresh insights from today's passage if you listen close. So for those of us who are single, you're saying, oh, I should have stayed home today. Should be watching from my jammies. Wish I was. No, no, I hope that you'll listen close. Uh, Some of you who are single will be married in the future, right? Some of you who are single have kids who will be married in the future. Some of us who are single and will never marry and have no kids, guess what? You have family, you have friends who are married, and sometimes probably you hear them talk about the challenges, the adversity, the stretching that goes with marriage. Every one of us can benefit from what this passage has to say to us today, so I hope that you'll listen close. With that said, let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read first several verses together. Uh, follow along in your Bible or on the screen uh, as I read, 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 1 there. It says, in the same way, so let me just pause before I read anymore, and I don't have time to go down this path, but let me just say, these verses, what I'm about to read, don't just stand alone. When it says, in the same way, it's linking us back to what's just taken place. So your assignment is go read 1 Peter chapter 2 later, not, not while I'm speaking. Later, okay? Go read it later because it, it's the context, really, the platform from which everything is said here. It'll, it'll be clear as we go, but it, it's totally related. So, anyway. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They'll be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. 
You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. In the same way, you hear it? In the same way, it's like an echo here. Think of chapter 2. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Now, there are a few sticky parts in this passage, most of which we'll address in some fashion during the next few minutes. I'm under no illusion that I'm capable of maybe hitting every one. So I just know that there's a lot there. We'll hit a lot, though, more than you think I might hit as we go through this. But it's my belief that this passage is indirectly doing something that uh, it's important that we recognize. This passage is indirectly addressing three battles that will either weaken or strengthen your marriage and mine. It'll either weaken or strengthen your character or mine. Depending on how we face these battles, and if you and I face these battles like this passage instructs us to, we will, in the process of obeying what Scripture says, be fighting for our marriages. If, on the other hand, you and I face these battles like our culture tells us to, the way that's common in our culture, common among the socially accepted ways of dealing with the, the battles I'm going to highlight, guess what? You will not be fighting for your marriage. You'll actually be fighting your spouse. Day after day after day, it'll be like Groundhog Day. Every day you'll wake up. It will not strengthen your marriage. It will weaken it. Until finally somebody like listens to what's said here and does something different or it drives you apart. This is what goes on in our culture all the time. God has something better in mind for us than what the culture has in mind. And so for the next few minutes, let's just talk about that. Let's turn our attention to the three battles that every marriage faces and what Scripture tells us in these verses to do about them. The first battle that every marriage faces is this. Who's boss? That's the first battle. Uh, who's boss? Now, this is a trick question, so don't respond, Okay. Don't respond unless you want to, like, look wacky, okay? Think with me. In marriage, who's boss? Really? How you and I answer that question has profound implications for a marriage. Some throughout history have read 1 Peter 3, 1, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, or some translations say, instead of accept, they say, must submit to the authority of your husbands. And then it goes on and talks about obeying and this kind of stuff, and there's master language and all this stuff. And, and some people have read that and concluded, well, clearly the husband is the boss of the marriage, as if 1 Peter 3 addresses the entirety exhaustively of everything the Bible has to say about marriage, Okay. Let me just simply say this, that's not good. That's not a good approach. 
Some men have used this verse, separated from what the rest of the Scripture teaches, or even separated from a few verses later, as you'll see. Some men have used this verse to justify chauvinistic attitudes and behaviors towards women in general and their wives in specific. And I want you to hear me, a world filled with domineering chauvinistic husbands who think their boss was not what God had in mind in the Garden of Eden. I can guarantee he didn't want a world populated with that any more than you want your marriage populated with that. But hear me, neither did God want a world filled with domineering chauvinistic wives who think their boss... That's not good either. It just leads to all kinds of mayhem. And our world, are filled with, the world is filled with both, both of those. I want you to listen carefully to what Jesus says to his disciples then and now about who's boss in marriage. Matthew 19, verses 4 to 6. This is a, a rich statement about marriage. So much here that I just don't have time to get into, but other than the point that I'm going to make here. But listen carefully to what Jesus says. He says to his listeners then, just like he would say to us, haven't you read the scriptures on the subject of marriage? Haven't you read, haven't you read what the Bible has to say about this? Jesus replies, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one And since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart. Some translations say no no one separate what God has joined together. Now, wait a second. Let no one separate what who has joined together? What God has joined together. God is the one who does the joining together. From the beginning, marriage has has had one boss. And it's not the husband, and it's not the wife. It's not 60-40. It's not 70-30. It's not 51%. One boss, 100% of the time. Every one of us needs to consistently keep this in mind, and sometimes that can be a real battle in the world in which we live. But God is boss of every biblical marriage. He joined it together. He's the only one that can separate it. And guess how he's going to do that? Death. Not a pleasant ending necessarily, but that's the way it works if it's a biblical marriage. Having clarified that, why does Scripture specify in 1 Peter 3 that wives are to accept the authority of their husbands. Why, why, for example, doesn't it specify that husbands ought to accept the authority of their wives? The answer to that goes back to the beginning as well. The Garden of Eden. You go back to the Garden of Eden. If you want to open up your Bible and read the entirety of Genesis 2 and 3, you'll get the full picture. But Eve, the first woman, the first wife... Remember what she did? She ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil at the serpent's suggestion. Do you remember the consequences for what she did? Do you remember that? We like to forget these things, all of us, but it's important that we remember Genesis 3, 16, 
God is speaking, and here's what he says. He tells us this. God said to the woman. Now, just pause for a second. Who's he talking to? Eve, right? He's talking to Eve. Why doesn't he say Eve? Why doesn't the Bible say God said to Eve? Because he wasn't just only speaking to Eve, right? This is, this is a, a big statement that he's about to make. He's speaking to woman here. So he, says, he says this, God said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Here's the point. From this day forward, from this day forward, the nature of Adam and Eve's marriage relationship changed. It changed. Instead of being inseparable soulmates living in paradise, paradise was lost in that moment. Their bodies began dying. Pain became a part of pregnancy and birth. And if you look at what Jesus says there, or what, uh, what God himself says there in Genesis 3.16, marriage authority wars began. That was the beginning point of it all. And ever since then, the subtle appeal of Scripture in several places has been this. Wives, don't make the same mistake that our mother Eve made. Accept the authority of your husbands and God. Accept the authority of your husbands and God. Just do it. Just do it. And like Peter says here in the text, it'll strengthen your marriage. According to 1 Peter 3, it'll even strengthen your marriage if your husband happens to be an unbeliever. Now, there's more that could be said because I think there are things that go on to play out about why God responds to men the way he does. But this is why he responds as he does. Much more could be said about all this. But that's just one of three battles that show up here in the text that I think are just implied that we're, that it's addressing and every one of us needs to keep in the forefront of our minds because it has everything to do with whether we're fighting for our marriages or with our spouses. There's a second battle that every marriage faces that indirectly is addressed in 1 Peter 3, and that battle is what's our primary focus? What's our, what's our primary focus in marriage supposed to be? What is it? Is our focus supposed to be maintaining an outward image as a couple, you know, the image of beauty and style where people look at us and think, wow, she is a really cool, cool wife. He's really a cool husband. Man, that's a couple I want to be like. I'm impressed. Look at them. Is that is that supposed to be the focus of marriage? Or is our primary focus in marriage supposed to be the development of inner beauty and substance that will eventually lead us towards relational oneness and holiness? Is the goal oneness like Adam and Eve experienced in the garden, hear me, before the authority wars began? You with me to see, see the, the thinking here? What should be the focus of our marriage? Peter continues, 
1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, addressing really this issue this way. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. Now, I want to pause right there. I think it's interesting. The passage doesn't say, Thou shalt not have fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You, do you see a, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not? Is that in the text? No. So that's kind of weak, but it's not. It's not in the text. What we find in the text is don't concern yourself with these things. Don't make these things a priority. Don't orient your life around this kind of thing. Instead, it's telling us what we're to orient our lives around. It goes on and says, you should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. Friends, whether you're a wife or a husband, if you want to strengthen your marriage, if you and I want to do that, we need to focus on clothing ourselves with inner beauty and character. Who you are on the inside matters more than our culture and our world thinks. It matters more than sometimes we think. Who we are on the inside matters as we age. And guess what? No amount of expensive clothing or fancy hairstyles or jewelry is going to make you look better. It just happens, right? Comes with the territory. That's why the Bible says this. It's funny, the way it refers to aging sometimes. One of the translations I love, it says, he's stricken with age. <laughs> That's the language. Is that great? Is that, no, he's not stricken with cancer. He's not stricken with, he's stricken with age. It's just like, yeah, it's getting old. Just getting old. You know, and suddenly you got midsection stuff. You, where'd that come from? And, <laughs> Things fall where they shouldn't, and things, it's just, it's the whole, the whole body just goes to pot, and, and no matter how much testosterone you take, on and on we could go. It's just our culture oriented, our whole culture, massive pharmaceutical investment in trying to put off aging. Hair care products alone. You can spend a fortune. Anyway, I'm going to get off of that. <laughs> Who you and I are in the inside matters, matters more, matters more. And it matters especially as we age. Who we are in the inside matters especially as we face the predictably unpredictable struggles and challenges that come with marriage, families, life. We need to devote ourselves to inner beauty. Haven't you ever known people who, somebody who's, you, you meet somebody just average looking guy, an average looking gal, and but you get to know them and they just, they have this winsome character and you just go, and you're drawn to them. And they could never be a model. They'd never be a model in a million years, right? Never. But she's beautiful. He's beautiful. Who among us wouldn't want that for our kids? God wants that for his kids, you. 
me. An anonymous writer has said a similar thing uh, this way. He wrote, people are like stained glass windows. They sparkle and shine when the sun is out. But as the sun sets and darkness begins to take its place, beauty can only be seen if there's a light within. You and I were made, were made to radiate light, the light of God's goodness, the light of God's glory from within us. We've got to focus on inner beauty. It's one of the battlegrounds of every marriage in our day. We tend to think of it as if it's only our time, but that's been true for centuries. Go back in Roman history and you read about marriage. You see, it was, it was an issue then. It's been, a, it's been an issue always since the garden. It's all about, what do I do with my shame? And I think that's why it's addressed to the women, in particular in the text. Because I think Eve was ashamed that she sinned. And so there's something inside of us that feels like, oh, I've got I've to hide my, hide my shame, my lack of attractiveness. The secret is not externals. The secret is the soul. Become beautiful from within. That's who you're made to be. There's a third battle, though, that every marriage faces that indirectly shows up in 1 Peter 3. And this is the battle, how will we treat one another? How will we treat one another? You know, chauvinist husbands daydream of being called master. They like that it's in 1 Peter chapter 3, the word even. Which, let me just say, no normal man I've ever met wants to be called master. No normal man wants that. And in fact, that's not even what the text is advocating. That's sort of misusing the language. Instead, what the passage is trying to convey is that just as Sarah honored and respected her husband, which is what the verses preceding conveyed, in the same way, we husbands, you husbands, must give honor to your wives, 1 Peter 3, 7 says. Give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are. And let me just say for clarity, it's talking about physical uh, strength differentials here. And it's speaking in general terms because over the years I've known a couple of ladies who could like beat their husband arm wrestling. So they're maybe stronger. So, you know, don't be like a legalist in the sense of, well, it says, no, you got other problems if that's, if that's where you're coming from. We love you, but you do. Just accept it. Just accept what the Bible said. This, it's, it's not that. The Bible's just saying she may be weaker physically, so to speak, than you are. But hear it. What is it? She is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. You know, the appeal here is for husbands and wives to honor and respect and celebrate really each other if you go back into the verse that precedes Six, you know, go back to verse 5 and 6 and really the whole concept. It's really an appeal. The whole text is for husbands and wives honoring and respecting and celebrating each other. 
makes me think of another passage, Romans 12.10, where it says this, we're all instructed to love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Just think about that. Take delight. I mean, it's like you become giddy with excitement because I have an opportunity. I, I found, I got a reason now. I got an opportunity to, to honor my spouse in some some way that would be meaningful to her or to him. And guys, one of the best ways to honor our wives is to learn to be understanding, to work at it. Like actually became a student of our wives. I would tell you right off the bat, this is not an easy thing. I've been a student of my wife for 30-something years. And it is not easy. Scripture emphasizes the importance of this in 1 Peter 3 because men and women are different. Our culture has grown a little confused about this lately, but we were originally created by God, hear me, genetically different. You can alter your body, you can't alter your genes. We're genetically different. And those differences manifest themselves physically, psychologically, in various ways than in our saner moments of people as people. We know. We know this. But we kind of get fuzzy sometimes in our culture. Let me illustrate what I mean this way. I have two journal entries I want to share with you. One was written by a wife, and the other was written by her husband. And they were reflecting on the events of the exact same day. Exact same day. See if you notice any difference. The wife writes this. Today, my husband was acting weird. We'd made plans to meet in a nice restaurant for dinner. Conversation wasn't flowing. So I suggested that we go somewhere quiet so we could talk. He agreed. When we got there, he didn't say much. I asked him what was, going, what was wrong, and he said nothing. I asked him if it was my fault that he was upset. He said he wasn't upset, that it had nothing to do with me and not to worry about it. On the way home, I told him that I loved him. He smiled slightly, but just kept driving. Didn't say anything. When we got home, he just sat down in his chair quietly and watched TV. He continued to be distant and absent. So finally, with silence all around us, I decided to go to bed. I'm not sure what I did, and I don't know what to do. Here's the journal entry from the exact same day from her husband. Rough day. Boat wouldn't start. Can't figure out why. Maybe some of the difference there is personality. But let's just say not all of it. Not all of it is personality. Men and women are different. We know that. We tend to view the world differently. And the point of 1 Peter 3.7 is that we husbands, who on a general level tend to condense things and kind of be in our heads sometimes and be solving problems that our wives don't even know that exist because we don't tell them. It's, It's like... We need to learn to honor our wives by being more understanding, more communicative, more present, more respectful. And apparently God is really, really serious about this. Because did you notice what he says at the end of 1 Peter 3, 7? He says, 
Treat her as you should. Why? So your prayers will not be hindered. This is how I hear it in my head. Treat her as you should. Or your prayers will not or will be hindered. This is, this is how I hear it here in my head. I mean, it's, uh, if you look at this text, I mean, those words kind of have the feel, to me as I look at it at least, of a father who's looking out for the well-being of his young daughter who's going out on a date with a guy, and he's just not sure if he can trust the intentions of this guy. Just not sure. So what's he say? Treat her as you should. Or else. Some of us have got teen daughters. You know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you've had them. Seriously, I, I have wondered occasionally. Think about this with me. I've wondered occasionally how many difficult things are going on in men's lives right now that they're trying to solve that would mysteriously resolve themselves if those very same men just started treating their wives with more respect and understanding as we all should be doing anyway, or endeavoring to do anyway. God is serious about this, guys. So the battle really is, how should we treat one another? With respect and honor. That is God's expectation, that we treat each other with respect and honor. And husbands, this is important, hear me. Husbands, whatever authority we've been given by God to lead or whatever that fully means in the biblical text, whatever authority we've been given by God, it's been given with the expectation that we be the ones who lead the way in showing honor and respect and understanding toward our wives. Perhaps things in the garden happened as they did because Adam was too passive toward his bride, Eve. And so what God's doing is he's saying, wives, like your mother, Eve, you need to learn to submit. Guys, like your father, Adam, who was passive and maybe aloof and more inattentive than he needed to be, you need to learn to lead. And until Christ comes, work on it. Work on it. But we're all equal in the eyes of God when it comes to this matter of salvation, as Scripture clearly teaches. So, guys, I want to ask you, beyond Valentine's Day, how might God want you to show honor to your wife? Is there anything that needs to change so your prayers are heard? Is there anything that needs to change on any of our parts, so our marriages are strengthened. 
I want to close with a famous devotional comment from a noteworthy Bible commentator. His name's Matthew Henry, lived back in the 1600s. He writes these insightful words, contemporized slightly, but he writes these insightful words. He was made by God from one of Adam's ribs. She was not taken out of his head to rule over him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him from under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. I think it kind of captures the spirit of what Scripture is trying to convey to us. If we live this kind of way, husbands, wives, delighting to honor one another, it'll strengthen our marriages. We'll be better people, we'll grow in holiness, and on the day when we stand before God face to face, uh, he'll say, well done, well done, well done. I stand together. We're going to close in prayer this morning. hope you'll spend some time reflecting on these passages, these words, and anything the Holy Spirit may be saying to you this morning, okay? Uh, maybe you need to invite Jesus into your life and your heart. I can assure you, if, if he's not a part of your life, doing what I'm talking about today, going to be a real noble aspiration, but you need his help. We all need his help. So you never invited him into your life, invite you to do that this morning as we pray. Just invite him to fill you and cleanse you and make you his, and he will. And maybe you need to demonstrate that faith by being baptized as scripture teaches. It's, uh, it's really a point where the scripture paints the picture of really the filling of the Holy Spirit coming at that point. Maybe you need that. Maybe you like prayer for something in your life. Maybe you need prayer for your marriage. No shame in that. It's a battle, particularly in the world in which we live today. So I encourage you, if you've got prayer need of some sort, come on down afterwards. We have people who be happy to pray for you. Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed, all right? Father, thank you for your grace and that you teach us from your word. You convey these things, I think, it's just evidence that you're real and you write these things and it's not, not made up by humans and stuff. Some of these things wouldn't be in Scripture today or 2,000 years ago if it was written by men. Like we sometimes try to, our unbelieving culture tries to convey. You, you, you want to bless our lives. So you tell us, kind of lay out a path for us. Would you help us to have humble hearts, roll up our sleeves as husbands and wives, serve one another and honor one another and love one another, learn to be understanding and attentive and helpful. God, you know this is not our nature, certainly not in this fallen world. God, we just ask that you'd help us, help us to grow in this area. Help every one of our marriage. I pray for your blessing on every marriage within the sound of my voice. Would you help us to head in the direction that your word calls us to head? We know it will go better for us if we do. Thank you for your grace, Lord. We just invite you to be a part of our lives to help us, Lord Jesus. Those among us who don't know you, God, would you you hear their cry toward you as they open their hearts and invite you to be a savior, to be a Lord, to guide their steps. Would you honor their faith 
fill them and draw them toward you. And as they're obedient to other things that Scripture teaches, like baptism and other stuff, God, we just ask that you'd, you would fan into flame that light within that we're all made to be able to radiate. Lord, I thank you for your goodness, your grace. I thank you for the opportunity we've had this morning to honor you with our presence and worship you because you're worthy of that. Go with us now as we leave this place. It's in Christ's name we pray. Everybody agreed with me and said, amen. amen. Bless you all.